Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom, and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. Today, I have the great and distinguished honor of interviewing Dr. Gloria McDaniel Hall, who is an assistant professor of educational leadership at National Lewis University, an author, podcaster, and equity trainer. I had the fortune of taking a class with her at National Lewis, and let me tell you, every class that she brought, she brought the whole thing. She even brought us breakfast to each meal. And when I first saw that, I was like, hmm, how long this is going to last? But it was in every class. And in every class, her knowledge and wisdom was consistent. And I learned so much. And I am grateful because today I'm educator I am because influences like her. Dr. Gloria McDaniel Hall, who are you? So good morning and thank you so much, Dr. Ephraim. And it was so much of a pleasure to have you in class as much as it was for me to, to be your instructor. But I am a mother, I'm a grandmother, and I'm a daughter, a daughter of people who I feel like I'm standing on their shoulders, um, ancestors who were strong enough to endure what they endured so that I'm, I'm still here. I'm a teacher forever, <laughs> and most recently, an author of children's books, even though I wrote a dissertation, it's nothing as hard as writing a children's book, a consultant, and a public speaker. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, thank you so much. Uh, can you please walk us through your professional trajectory up to this point? So I, I've been a teacher. This actually is year 39 for me in education, which is crazy. Time just flies. But a little bit about the backstory is that I um, integrated a school in Galveston when I was a little girl. And the trauma that that caused for me, caused me to be somebody who didn't speak for five years. I couldn't open my mouth in a school. So the fact that I've been able to overcome that has only been through the, the grace of God, but also the help of really supportive teachers. But this is year 39. I started as a Chicago public schools teacher. I did that for 12 years. Then I was a charter school principal, a director, and currently I am an assistant professor, like you said, at National Lewis University. Um, the, the ideas that I'm trying to get out of my head, I'm trying to get out social emotional learning um, in story form for kids now. And so there'll be a series that I'm have two books in, but that I'm going to have um, a number of books in just dealing with different topics where kids can see themselves in, in the text. Wow, let's let's try to to peel that onion. Uh, for those that don't know, can you walk us through what does reintegration in a school meant, and uh, if you can share uh, your story? Yeah, yeah So, um, the year in in Galveston, the year that I started kindergarten, was the year that the federal government kind of forced. Um, Texas and I guess other states to do it. And the forced integration was around, but there were states that just were kind of refusing to do it. And um, I happened to be living with my grandparents in Galveston at that time. And so the school that I wasn't going to be able to go to actually ended up the school that I had to go to it was called the Alamo School. And um, there would be people lining the streets as I walked to school, just saying the most awful things. I don't think, um, because I don't know if we tell the story enough of what happened to the children who were parts of integration, but I don't think that there was an opportunity for me to interact with other children. Um, I was the only one in my kindergarten class who was an African-American child. I think there were other children in other classrooms, but not in mine. Um, but what it made me, it's, it formed the self-concept that I had of myself, which was, you don't belong, you don't fit in, your skin color's ugly, like, and I think I figured if you just sit there quietly, they won't see you. And so I just became somebody who retreated to the inside of me. Um, and then 
when I moved to second grade, we moved to Chicago and we lived in Hyde Park where it was more integrated and people were, the whole neighborhood was, and people were just generally more open and nicer. And the school that I attended um, was a Catholic school in the neighborhood that I still live in. And um, the teachers there changed my life and changed the viewpoint that I had of myself. And it took till seventh grade, but I finally answered the question in school. And, and then my friend, some of my friends say, yeah, I can't tell that you were a mute person because you won't shut up now. But <laughs> I think all the stuff I wanted to say a long time ago is finally coming out. Wow. Wow. Do, do you remember that moment when you started talking uh, and, and expressing yourself and, and coming out? I remember the moment. It was in seventh grade and it was in math. But I remember the, the like the like the anxiety I could work. The ideas used to be formulated in my head and swimming around, but I just couldn't open my mouth for them to come out. So the teacher was like more like surprised that I <laughs> raised my hand to answer a question. I don't know what made me do it on that day, but um, I did. I answered an algebra question on that day. And that's that's the situation that I write about in my first book. It's called Gloria Finds Her Voice because I went from being a non-talking student to being able to talk in class. It was an amazing experience. Wow. Is, the, is the Gloria of today writing to the Gloria of then? I, 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 you know, I am writing to the glory of then. I talk to her all the time because even though I'm, I'm a professor now and I do all this stuff, like she's still like inside. And there are times when, oh, maybe you shouldn't say anything at this, you know, and she's still inside. And so I, I, you never really, I don't really ever really get completely over that trauma. And that um, shows up a lot of times as imposter syndrome, it shows up a lot of time as just, oh, just keep that idea to yourself or they're not gonna understand. But I've been working on that. Beautiful. What is, what is your most precious memory as a teacher? So I um, had, I had a helpline for my students. It was called the McDaniel homework helpline because, <laughs> because CPS had a homework helpline, but my children, the students in my class didn't like calling because a lot of times they wouldn't have the books we had, or they wouldn't know exactly what we had been doing. And it was kind of impersonal when they would call. So I gave them a two hour window where they could call me And we could go over homework. And I said, look, do not play on my phone. Because <laughs> it was before cell phones and before um, caller ID and all that. So it was students would call each evening. And so it would turn into more than just talking about the homework. Talking about, like in a lot of cases, they were kids who were at home on their own, taking care of younger siblings, even though they were in third grade. And so it was them just reporting into me how they were doing or that they had the stove turned off or, you know, so it was, it was a way to connect with them outside of school. Nobody ever called outside of the hours. Nobody ever misused the McDaniel homework helpline. Um, and so I, and those students, when they were second, third graders that I started with are still like my friends now on Facebook. <laughs> They're like, 39 years old. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Time flies. Time uh, Gloria, um, obviously you, you, you teach people who want to be principals, but if you had to put it in a nutshell, um, what is the advice that you will give for people who are, um, who dare enough to say, I want to be a school principal? Oh, so number one, And, and we don't talk about it enough in our educational leadership programs. But number one, I would say is to make sure you have a way of taking care of yourself. Because what happens is, and, and you can't give a formula for, you know, get up every morning, go to the gym. It's not like that because it's such an individual thing. But 
every student who I've had go through the program is somebody who I know cares deeply about this work. And when you care that deeply about the work, you care that deeply about your people that you're leading, you get you get everybody's stuff all the time. And you have deadlines all the time. And you got to talk to parents all the time and board members all the time. And when you get on that rotation, you find that you have these days that are 12, 13, 14 hours and you don't stop to just, I don't know, program in, set your alarm so that you have some, some times to just stop for a minute, stop for a minute and take 10 or 15 minutes during the day. But also when you're, when you're not at work or when it is the weekend or when you do have a moment, being intentional about disconnecting sometimes because it, you will find that you just like, wait a minute, did a whole day go by and I haven't done anything for myself? Did a whole afternoon go by and I haven't drank any water? Like having some some um, habits of, of like habits of operation that make yourself a priority, I would say is number one. And then number two, all the stuff that we learn in school is all important and all of those researchers and all of those frameworks and case studies and all of that is important, but nothing is as, as important as building relationships on purpose with the people who you work with and the people who you interact with and the parents that you have. All the rest of that, like somebody could teach you, but that part, um, and it doesn't, it's not something that happens by, it's just gonna happen by happenstance. It's got to be intentional. And you have to say, I'm going to get to know the people that I'm serving, but not just at a transactional level. I'm going to get to know them in a way that we can transform this thing together because transactional relationships don't work. <laughs> don't work. You, you can check the box and say, yeah, I talked to these five teachers today, but do you really know your teachers? Do you know what they're struggling with? Do you know what they're good at? Do you know how many children they have? Do you know, like those kinds of things. And when people know that you care enough to know those kinds of things about them, then they'll do anything for you. So all the rest of that just kind of, kind of comes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what lessons have you learned about podcasting? So I have learned that because, you know, for me, using my voice is uh, so, so I've learned um, to kind of like use some starter questions, but then to like let people just kind of go and tell their stories. When people tell their stories, it's it connects us in a way that, um, yeah, like nothing else can. The sharing of a story. So, number one, the importance of a story. Number two, make trying to make people feel comfortable when they are speaking with me, because a lot of times. People have a lot of experience, but they're they're nervous, even though it's only me interviewing. <laughs> so the other day, uh, a while ago, I interviewed uh, David Stovall from UIC, and uh, I asked him the, the the question of of equity in the sense of half of our country is going nuts with this and freaking out and canceling books. And he said a quote that uh, always stuck with me. Since when historical accuracy became a threat. So with that, uh, why equity matters in terms of uh, training, the training that you provide and in, in schools? So I, I do see education. Um, It makes me sad that even though I went through what I went through in school 50 years ago, 50 years ago, it really isn't different now. Um, it just kind of like is hidden under systematic kind of still racialized things um, for the most part, for a lot of parts of this country. And so like it feels like So I was born in the year that Rosa Parks got arrested on the bus. That means to me, I was in Galveston where Juneteenth was proclaimed. That's where I lived. I integrated a school. 
it seems to me that I was put here for a purpose. And it feels to me like that purpose is just make every school that I touch better than it was before I was there. And, and the idea of equity to me means, like if, if I looked and had the vision of what this country school system could look like when, when things were equitable, I could walk into any building and it wouldn't matter what zip code I was in. And I would see children learning at a high level. I would see them progressing at high levels, no matter where they came in. We'd figure out what we needed to do to get it right for them. Because I, I know like in Chicago, the crime is terrible. And But I look at, there's this quote that this man Deming had. And his quote was, he was a one of the business gurus of the past. Every system is getting the exact results that it's set up to get. Every system is getting, so any, even you have a relationship or, or a marriage, if you don't put into that system, if you don't do what you need to do to keep it going, your system breaks down, right? So the system of education, we keep doing all these other things around figuring out this achievement gap. We got new standards. We got new ways we evaluate teachers. We got educational leadership programs. We got all programs. We got the culturally responsive teaching and leading standards. We got standards up the, and, and we're not making a difference. <laughs> we're not making a difference because we're not dealing with the mindsets of the people who are in front of our kids. We're not dealing with the social issues that our kids and their families are facing a lot of times. We're not dealing with poverty and all of its implications. And so, yeah, we, we wonder, like, we're fixing everything around the issue. And the issue is, if it's going to be an equitable system, we're going to find out how to fill in these needs for the kids we're serving so that they can do well at school. I mean, like, we we got to understand we've, we've, we've moved around everything else. <laughs> we've, we've put... Uh, rules on everything else. We we got all this other stuff and we're still not making a difference. Why is that? That's because we haven't dealt with what the main issue is. Um, it's not that I should be able to tell this kid is black or brown. That's not the reason why they're not progressing in school the way they should. It's that we have not addressed what their needs are strategically. Amen. Thank you, Gloria. What a great answer. So, Gloria, like in Back to the Future, if you could go back in time to any of the positions you have held in the past, what would the Gloria of today tell the Gloria of back then? So I, I feel bad because sometimes I think that people assume because I'm an African-American woman that I understand all black people <laughs> and I have a similar background and I, I don't, right? I went to Catholic school. I lived in Hyde Park. The students that I served were all in areas that uh, of this city and of Gary, Indiana, Cleveland, the students and the families that I've served over time um, have been in urban areas. And the thing that I would tell the first principal Gloria is don't go in there with your own assumptions about how stuff should be. And don't go in there judging the people who you're supposed to be serving. I used to think some sort of way, like parents ride up and loud music is blaring from their car or there's smoke in the car or, you know, all this stuff. And I used to think, how could they care for their kids and, and have that be the situation? And then I got to know parents. I got to know them and I know every single one of the parents that I met cares deeply for their children and just wants the best for them. So the stuff that I was judging on, don't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. And you know what? Over time, I was able to say to dad, dad, you know, that music is too loud. Turn that down. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, you shouldn't smoke in the car when you got, you're right. You're right. But I couldn't have done that until I got to know them. Um, 
and know them at a deep level. So I would, I, the advice I would tell myself is don't go in judging other people, go in seeking to understand and to get to know them as, as people. Um, I was able to do amazing things with my parents once they knew that I had their kids' best interest at heart. It was on. <laughs> it was on. What a great advice. Uh, that's something I definitely miss when I began being a, a, an administrator. Um, I just thought it was about results and the numbers and 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 never about the people, but it's, everything is about the people. Yeah, and it's about the numbers, right, too? Because if the numbers don't move, then you look like you're an ineffective principal or an ineffective leader. But what happens is like a miracle. So I started this school, um, started at the school in 2004. It was uh, a school in Inglewood on the South side. Um, the second graders were running the building. <laughs> they had had six principals in five years. They like, it was everything. Right. And then, um, I got to, the cool thing is a lot of people quit. So I got to hire my own people. But the other cool thing is over the summer, I spent time getting to know the parents because they did not trust the school. Why would they? Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, I can't just come in and say, trust me. I'm not, they were like, yeah, everybody said that. And then they left. You're going to leave too. I said, nope, I'm not going to leave. And no matter how hard things got, I didn't leave. And it was like a miracle after year two, the kids knew I was going to be there. The staff knew I was going to be there. The parents knew I was going to be there. And we were 80% of my teachers were first year teachers, but we doubled the reading and math scores in two years, just because we got kids to know we cared about them, sit down and learn. Like it, was, it was like a miracle. So the, well, I was just basically the numbers come when you do the relationship thing on purpose, the numbers come. Amen. I love them. Uh, let's take a, a quick pause and recognize the Teach Better community. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. So I have to ask Gloria, at some point, you decided, I'm going to write a children's book. Can you walk me through that moment of inspiration? Uh, and uh, can you tell us about your experience doing, the, doing so? So the story had kind of been floating around in my head. One, one, one of the things that we, I didn't say when we were talking about ways that people, school leaders can start to better take care of themselves is to make sure that if therapy is an option and you need it, like take advantage of it. Right. And so the, the ideas um, about being traumatized the way that I was, like I said, they don't, they don't kind of go away. And so these, these ideas have been floating in my head, floating in my head. And I'm like, the thing is, I think if you tell this story, you can help of course, it's, it's going to be different. It's not going to be about integrating a school, but it's going to be about kids knowing that they have a voice and they need to use their voice. And so, like, I kept thinking and I kept carrying around a journal and I kept thinking, like, what could the title be? I And people said, just write and then the title will come. I'm like, no, nah, what is the title? Oh, Gloria finds her voice. Like, I did. I found my voice. And so, like, literally found my voice, figuratively found my voice and so um one day i was at a picnic and i was just really bored because nothing was happening the food was not good and i took napkins and i just started thinking like okay we're we're just always oh, started in texas and it did this and what were the turning points what was the climax and i just sat there and had like 16 napkins full of stuff and i got home and typed got home and typed and then i, I went on this website and found an artist uh, I wanted to get somebody who could depict brown and black people well and make them look realistic. And so I found an artist on the site who I would just ship a page at a time to and say, I want the picture to look like this. And then I found some um, old photos in my mother's photo album 
of that teacher that I had in second grade, the one who changed my life. Um, yeah, I found pictures of me and her. And so the artist recreated those and actually included them. Um, I found my the first friend who uh, was nice to me in second grade when I arrived. She lived down the street. And so I got her to send me old pictures. So like once the ideas started flowing, they just like couldn't stop. Um, and then the, the second book, what I decided the series is going to be Somebody Finds a Something. So my grandson was going from kindergarten to first grade, and he was really, really concerned that he wasn't going to be able to find friends at his new school. And so he was telling me the story, and I'm like, oh, it's Peyton finds a friend. So, <laughs> so that's the second one. And actually, he and I did a book signing together. Ooh. So he, he was day seven, but he was signing. He told people about his book and he was signing his book at the bookstore. Wow. <laughs> How empowering is that? That's beautiful. Yes. And he has a book with his picture on the front. Like it is. Wow. And so when his teacher has put the book in the library and read it to the students in his classroom. And so like those kinds of the, the messages and the things that um, I'm finding that kids struggle with, I think putting it in story form and having there be strategies that kids can look to when they're um, facing something is going to be the series. So I'm hoping to have five books in the series and, and include inside of each book um, starter questions for teachers or websites that teachers can use. Um, so that's kind of where I am with the series. I got I got one more idea about belonging because that's I think belonging is the or help not even helping it's creating the situation where people feel like they belong is like the next big idea for me. Beautiful, I love that you are expressing all your artistic endeavors within the educational system to make a difference. What an amazing thing! So, Gloria, uh, as you know, reading is such a luxury. Um, if you have to gift two books to a loved one, one fiction and one nonfiction, which one will be those two books be? <laughs> so, um, Native Son would be my nonfiction. Um, it is nonfiction, but so beautifully written. I think I've read, I read it for the first time in high school. And I think that I've read that book maybe 10 times. And each time I get a new, I see new symbolism in the story. It is the story of a boy. His name is Bigger Thomas. And he actually um, was a black man who got caught up in stuff. And I think it, the book It's so like deep because it was written, I think, in the 1930s. But the things that happened to him as a black man are still happening now. But it gives a glimpse into like the family structures, how the educational system failed him, like all the things that kind of like rolled into him becoming um, the man that he became and, and, and dealing with the things that he had to deal with and Yeah, it's just, it gives me a, a window in, into the world of understanding where people are coming from more. Um, and I would say, so I'm, I'm on this new journey to find out more about Black history. So, be, especially because they don't want us to learn about Black history. They don't want me to know my history. They didn't teach it to me in school. And I'm flabbergasted at the things that I don't know about my own people's history. Like it, it's, it's James it's, Baldwin will, will so say sad. that. Will say that uh, years and years ago. The same thing. I I just it some you know there was a massacre in Chicago in 1919 because a young man swam like a few feet over to the left with, at the beach at Lake Michigan, like. The big so, old lake, like he, wow. he, an imaginary line for which black people were not supposed to break this line. He did. And the, he was stoned. And so it caused a riot, which turned into a massacre um, in 1919. How have I lived in Chicago my whole life and just heard of that? Like 
recently. And, and there are people who like, I can't believe you didn't know that. I did not know that. They did not teach that in, in my history books. And history was so boring anyway, the way that it was taught. It was memorizing some dates and some people's names, and I was good at memorizing stuff. So, yay, I did well, but I didn't understand any of that and how the pieces fit together. And so I've started to do my own journey. Last summer, I took myself to South Carolina to the slave markets. I took myself to Monticello to see um, Jefferson's atrocities. I took myself to Galveston, back to Galveston to see where the Juneteenth announcement happened uh, in 1865. Like, I took myself to these places and blogged about it because it's just so much to try to learn now. But getting back to the book. So there's the book cast by Isabel Wilkerson. And in this book, she talks about the fact that in order to really understand where we've come from, we got to understand our past. And so she says it's it's more than about race. It's about a caste system where certain people have to be um, put in their place in the whole thing. And she and she compares the caste system in the United States to the caste system in India and other places. Um, but that these racialized structures are what she proposes is keeping us from moving forward as a nation. And so that book it's so deep. It's taken me a really long time, but that's my favorite because <laughs> it has such a comprehensive history of the United States in there that it's my like source right now. Thank you for sharing all of that. I love me to learn uh, as well. Uh, wow. Um, Gloria, who is or who are your biggest influences? So my number one influence is my dad. He, he's passed away, but um, he grew up in Texas, and that's why I ended up there, long story. But um, when he was born, he was born on a farm that his ancestors never left after slavery. So he was a sharecropper. He told me that, like, by the time you were able to walk, you worked, and you went to school on the off-season, and, and the school consisted of all the kids from around there. No matter what your age was, you were all in one room and it was a, a black woman teaching. Um, and so he, he, he had issues with school, but he was really smart. Um, he ended up leaving Texas on purpose, just taking himself to, to the draft people. Like, I know you're going to draft me. I just want to go. And they took him. He went. It was stationed in Panama, and that's where he met my mother. That's why I was born in Panama. But um, just to be able to come through situations like he did, my, my, my father's mother, my grandmother, died in childbirth in Texas because there wasn't a doctor they could find in time who would attend to a Black woman. So my father being able to now, that was when he was seven years old. That Him being able to overcome everything that he overcame and find his way to Chicago and make sure that I was able to go to schools where I would get a good education, like he's like at the top of my list. Um, my mother was also a hard worker. And the two of them like uh, overcame odds that I'm not sure I would be able to overcome. But second, um, so the teacher that I had that made me feel like I was worth anything was my second grade teacher. Her name was Sister Christella. She was one of the nuns with the habit, like the whole thing. Like <laughs> she was. So if you like recall from the story, I was coming from Texas and I was coming from a situation where every white person I had encountered was not good for me. Like it was it was super bad, right? And so when I, I walk into this classroom in Chicago and I see her, I don't know what like to make of it. Like, I don't know. This place seems different because there were all kinds of kids. There were white and black and Asian kids. And I'm like, oh, this looks cool. But she touched me. She took her hand and she said, it's going to be OK. Let me take you to your seat. 
the moment she touched me, I knew I was going to be a teacher. It, it was like, wow. whatever this lady just did to me, I'm doing that for, I'm doing that. <laughs> I started teaching at home that day because I could talk at home like a little bit, right? So I'm lining up everybody who would listen to me who was younger than eight that I was and started teaching. But she she changed she changed my life. She made me feel like school was going to be safe. And she made sure nothing happened or no one was mean to me as the new child in class. And so I looked for her when I was writing the book because I wanted her to know that I was writing about her in the book and found her through Facebook, like these connections on Facebook. Yes. She's like 85, right? So I said, Sister Christella, it's me. <laughs> She was like, oh, baby, I don't remember you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's Gloria. Like, you touched me. <laughs> and she was like, I'm so sorry. It's been thousands and thousands of kids. I'm like, well, you did amazing for this kid. And I told, I got the chance to tell her about the book. <laughs> wow. I mean, that, that tells you a lot about, like, the... The, the power that educators have in imprinting themselves in the history book of each child. So every word, every movement might make a difference for the good or the bad for the rest of their lives. Like how for impactful. The good or the bad. Yes. She, I mean, it, I can remember her touching me. I And I know it was the first day and I she her voice, I just knew that that lady was not going to let anything happen to me. I knew it. I knew it. And she didn't even have to talk a lot. She was just gentle and just like affirming. And, and I, you know, my parents could have said, yeah, we don't know what's happening with her. Like she doesn't talk. I don't know what's happening with her. Or that could have just been who she is. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care why she did it. Um, yeah, she's my, she's my second influence. Thank you. How inspirational. So you wrote a book called um, uh, Gloria Finds Her Voice. So this question, um, you might be an expert on it. Uh, all of us at some point, perhaps more often than not, feel, oh my goodness, I'm not that good. I'm not that smart. I'm not going to get there. This is too difficult for me. That's only for this type of people, not people like me. How do you address imposter syndrome? Ooh, first... I had to look up because I knew it was a thing, right? I knew, and someone said, oh, that's imposter syndrome. And I had to look up and read more about not only where it comes from, but ideas about how you can undo it. And just reading it doesn't, is not the answer. For me, it had to be, okay, I'm going to plan when I'm going to speak up in this meeting, because the thing is like at National Lewis, and I, I love my school, but um, when I first got there, if there's so many professors and everybody's a doctor, right? Like there's so many degrees floating around that you really feel like, especially as a new person, I can't, I can't even compare with these folks. Like they written multiple articles and multiple books and, I know I wouldn't be in this room if I didn't have the qualifications to be in this room, but I'm <laughs> nothing like them. Um, and so I sat there, sat there the same way at National Lewis for five years. I went and I taught my classes, but I didn't say anything in the meetings. I didn't contribute. I didn't get on writing groups. I didn't, because I didn't feel like I was worthy of that. And I started by getting in smaller, like, I'm going to just take a leap. I'm going to be on this smaller committee. Um, and then, like, the experiences that I have working in urban schools and being an urban school leader is something that no one else had. No one else had. And so there were times that I was the only person who knew the answer <laughs> or the only person who had had that experience. And so I started speaking up. And then once I did, it was kind of like, okay, Gloria, can you speak here? Gloria, can you do that? And I don't think a lot of times they understand how much of an anxiety producing thing that is for me to 
Gloria, can you go on Channel 7 News? Wait a minute. Didn't I tell you I don't speak public? I just do this with my students. I don't. But so so to answer the question, it's really learning more about how that shows up and then trying to undo imposter syndrome on my own. Like the other thing is I find myself being uber prepared for everything. So, okay, so if they if we're, this is the topic, read this, 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 and this, and this, and this, so you can make sure if you do say something, you don't sound crazy and you know what you're talking about. And then with my classes, even, even in class, like sometimes I feel imposter syndrome. So I ask for feedback from my students all the time and then make adjustments based on that feedback. It makes me feel, okay, these things did go well. Okay, work on that. Like, um, so that it's not so overwhelming. And then I think write journaling. Journaling about, because you can go back and look at it and like, okay, that was an opportunity where you could have spoken up or that was a op missed opportunity. Oh, you did good there. So like writing about um, like the experiences I'm having has also helped with that. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate your responses. I'm learning here so much. I'm so excited. <laughs> So let's talk about the other side of the coin of wisdom, which is productivity. As you know, every successful person is on top of their productivity, but this looks so different for everyone. How does it look to you? How do you get to do all these things? <laughs> what happens behind the scenes? What should we know? Because I think that many of us often fail because we have this awesome ideas but we don't think about how to get everything organized what are, what are what are your what Man. is what can we know <laughs> and the thing the funny thing is like i was talking about being asked to do things after you're asked to do things more and more people are asking you to do things so you've got to find a way for me i got to find a way so number one i think like when i picture what's happening in my head like multiple tabs you know the people when you open their computer and you see all the tabs it's like all the tabs are open right so in order for me to be productive sometimes i gotta close some tabs <laughs> like i gotta restart my laptop because this is too much right now and i know everything is up there for a reason but i need to close some tabs so what i do on a, like on sundays is i look through the calendar for the week and i say what are the three like you got to get these done this week and i put them i like i put i would show you behind me but i'm embarrassed but i put them on a big giant post-it and it says big things one two three and like sub bullets under those big things and i need to put the the post-it pad like that big one i need to put it like somewhere where i can look at it all the time and then I make a daily, like, just do these three things. I used to have a daily and put everything on that list. Then it, to me, like, felt like I wasn't getting anything done. So I think strategically about the big ones and say, what are the three things you could get done today? And I write them down and from I got to cross them off or it feels like I didn't even do them. Like, and if I do something I didn't even remember to put on the list, I write on the list so I can cross it off on the list. Like, I got to cross stuff off. Um, the second thing, I had to learn to say no sometimes. No, even though things like things that I've been trying to do, like I've been trying to start this consultant business and I got a call to come to Ohio to do a thing. And I looked at the calendar like, you know, you cannot fly into Ohio on Monday, do the thing on Monday afternoon, turn around and come back Monday night because you got a thing on. Like, just say no this time. And it hurt. But I said no that time like it made me feel like damn they might not call me back again but whatever the other thing is making sure that your diet and exercise you got to like your my body i can't because i stopped like eating meat i can't function without planning out what i'm going to eat to put in my body and it has to be intentional what I'm the water that I need to drink. So I got one of the things and that sit next sits next to me. So like because I I've did go through a whole day. Like, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel off? Oh, you didn't eat all day. Like you can't, like that's not productive. So making sure you take care of that stuff um behind the scenes. Um, and then I I build in breaks. 
And I know it's weird, but my break consists of like doing a crossword puzzle, just like something that takes my mind off the work when it's warmer. Just go for a walk, like walk a couple blocks when it's time for your break. Walking, I think, um, like, I don't know what it does to the brain cells, like scientifically, but I it does something to mine. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. No. So just they say Steve Jobs no. will make uh his important business meetings walking around the uh, Apple campus uh with, uh, the, with the people. Yes, yes, yeah, no, it, it really it really does good. And I for me, I, I build some music playlists. Ooh. Like so I got one devoted to change, like a whole bunch of songs about positive change. And then I got one called Loving Me, like a whole bunch of songs about you are beautiful, like you are, yeah. And then I got one, you know, so when I got to get motivated for class, I have my I have my students at, at uh, National Lewis build podcast, I'm not podcast, build playlists Playlist. together. So send me a song that represents how you're feeling right now. And then we put them all together and they become our our class playlist. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, music is so uh, key to, yes, to get uh, our brain going. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, so tell us about uh, your calendar. Uh, you know, <laughs> that boring topic that nobody talks about, but it's so key. Uh, how, how do you keep up with everything? So I, I don't want to admit it because it feels old school, but I have a paper calendar. So I, cause I, something happens when I, I think I grew up in the time of like writing notes. And so like, I have to write stuff down. Like, even if I'm just like listening to people talk, like I gotta have, so I have notepads everywhere. Um, so for me, I got the paper calendar, but then I also know that the paper calendar is not going to beep when it's time for me to do something. So when I do the calendar organization on Sundays, I take everything that I've written in the paper calendar and make sure it's an outlook. So I got double calendars going. So the alarm rings. And then part three is even though the phone might ring or, or beep 30 minutes before the meeting, I take the phone and schedule like every meeting for the day, 10 minutes ahead of time of that meeting, set an alarm in the phone so it'll ring so i got like three pieces and it's a lot but it it's how i it's my form it's ingraining your, in your brain yeah <laughs> and people like, say i don't know how you could be walking around with that paper calendar i i, I would show you but it's embarrassing also <laughs> no please show us absolutely if you have it there absolutely yes Ooh, <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> You use it, no doubt. I use it. For those that cannot see, because they're in audio, uh, Gloria just shows her calendar that is is completely full with uh, uh, appointments and notes about it. But you know what? Like uh, Robin Sharma says that uh, when you create when you create a blueprint for the week in your calendar, and you know where you are going. Uh, you make your life more simpler. You don't have to be wondering where you're supposed to be. Yes. And it's easier to say no because yes. you know exactly where you have to be. Yes, yes, yes. No, it's, it's, the system has helped me. I, I tried to do it just using the computer and it didn't work for me. I need to write Beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, you have to uh, often uh, get to sit down and, and write for your current job as a university professor um, uh, or you are writing your creative writing. Can you tell us about uh, your 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 what happens behind the scenes? Do you put music? <laughs> Do you put candles? Uh, I do. Uh, what, what should we know? What should we know? So I do have candles. Um, so I, I do write at home sometimes. And when I write at home, I have to do like five minutes of like a meditation from somewhere, like five minutes. And I had an app that I really loved. And then I went to go to it a couple months ago and they sold themselves to Headspace. So now... It's not the same, but anyway, I gotta I I go on the app and I just calm down for a minute. I do I need the 
the whole situation to smell and feel productive. So I do put the candles on. I do put the candles or incense or something. I, I have sage, all kinds of stuff. And then I have to find a position that's comfortable. And the music has to be like um, jazz for studying. It can't be with words in it because then I'll be jamming and listening to the words. So no, it has to be, it has to be jazz or something upbeat that makes me feel like I'm moving. And, and then I just kind of force myself to sit here. I'm actually in this writing collective. It's a group of, of people. You should join it with me, Dr. E. Frank. But um, it's, they, we meet every Friday and for two hours, we talk about what we're working on and writing about, but we just sit and write and don't move for two hours every Friday. And so that's helped me a lot also because you got to force yourself to sit still and do it. Um, so when I write at home, that's kind of it. And then like any books that I need or that I'm getting ideas from are around me when I'm doing it um, for the children's book or the creative stuff. Like I'm looking at other people's children's books, how they are illustrated, like how they get ideas across creatively. But what I also found is that there are times when I need to be out of this space. I need to be out. If Starbucks doesn't work, coffee shops are too loud for me. So I go to my neighborhood library. That's actually how I ended up being able to finish my dissertation is I go, I sit in the same corner. I take with me everything I need. I turn the phone over so it's not bothering me <laughs> or beeping or all the things that the phone does all day long and force myself to sit there and either read or write or journal or something. I, I, have, to, some, I have to force myself. These three hours are going to be hours devoted to some aspect of the writing. And it doesn't have to be like the writing every time. It could be looking at other books or reading things about what authors do or something like that. But um, I think the uninterrupted time is the only thing that's helped me. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, how do you get organized uh, and how do you uh, reach out to people that uh, are in your podcast, uh, what what should we know? So I um I, I just will meet somebody and go, oh, that would be a great idea. So the podcast is called Urban Legends because I want to celebrate what happens in urban schools. The narrative out there is so negative that if I were a teacher seeking a position, I would not like, oh, I want to work God. there. But there's amazing things happening in urban schools. Um, there's amazing ideas that I try to get people to share about things that they could do in their schools. And so the cool thing is I have like a, a arsenal of people like you who I'm going to ask to be on my show, but I have an arsenal of people because I teach them all the time and I see all the stuff that they do once they leave their programs. And so I've just been interviewing <laughs> the people I, I meet through National Lewis or the people I meet through work. Um, or have worked with who are just doing outstanding, doing outstanding things. Beautiful, beautiful. Any lessons you have learned about um, getting organized for podcasting? So, oh yeah, that's so. I would say there's a formula that I kind of use. So I have, um, I listen to people's stories and then turn those, turn what I hear from them into the questions that I'm going to ask them, send those out to them prior so that they kind of know, like, right. Cause it is better than just going cold Turkey. Um, and one of, one of the most um, proud moments of me being a podcaster is I got to interview a woman who graduated from national Lewis university in 1959 she was the only black woman at National Lewis University. In 1959, she graduated before I was in kindergarten like that. It's crazy. And um, she, I, I pre-planned the question. I listened to her story. She told me the stories of things that she's been doing. We talked on the phone for two hours in order for me to get the questions that I needed 
to kind of let her know what we were going to be talking about during the show. But I think one of the things organizing myself is in my, I'm always on the listen out and on the lookout for, oh, that could be somebody I could talk to on the show. That could be somebody I could talk to. <laughs> so that way, but then also helping people be, be prepared for what I'm going to ask them, I think is a strategy. Um, and then just being open to new opportunities and to new ideas about. So like I talked to somebody who, <clears throat> who puts together music um, in a math curriculum that he designed himself. And it motivates kids to want to do math because he combines music and beats and stuff with it. Like I was just on the lookout for it. And, and someone told me, yeah, I got somebody who I think would be good on your show. So I'm also like, my friends are out here. Like, sitting wow. with me also. Yes. Podcasting has been transformational in my life. Uh, I have uh, been able to, <laughs> To, to to become a better educator, even a better human being because of uh, the advice that luminaries like you are able to share uh, in just a, a brief moment. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm very grateful. Uh, anything that we haven't talked about that you do for fun when you are not uh, <laughs> super Gloria, uh, uh, the, the professor, the author, the teacher, the trainer? <laughs> Uh, what yes. do you do for fun? <laughs> so for fun, well, I travel a lot. So as a matter of fact, this weekend, there was a student who I was his principal like seven years ago. I don't know. And he is singing at Carnegie Hall on Monday. So I'm going to New York. I'm going to New York to see him. And he's applied to Juilliard for um, college. I... Wow. So, so I do, I do, I take advantage of traveling. Um, we're going to Paris on the 25th, my daughter and my grandson and I. <laughs> so I do, I do a lot of traveling and I blog about it, which is, um, it's called Principal Travels. Mm. The blog. <laughs> um, wow. I, I try to go to the gym, even though I hurt my knee recently and, and have been on a little bit of a hiatus, but I, the gym with music also um, calms me. Um, and so I, I do it for fun. Um, and then the third thing is like kind of Netflix binging, but I'm not binging on like the regular stuff. I'm binging on the history shows. And then it gets to be a little bit much like you get triggered because it's just like they did what to us? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. Yeah. I can't believe some of the stuff, but I, I binge history and journal about it. And so that's what it's, it's kind of weird, but I do that for fun. Hey, whatever is fun for you. And, uh, and then dancing, you know, well, they're dancing. Ooh, you like dancing. Oh yes. And music. So last night, so there's a play, there's a playhouse called the black ensemble in Chicago and they do like themed African-American themed like musicals. Right. And last night we, my daughter and I went to see, um, it's the story of earth, wind and fire. And it's called Reasons. Oh, oh we were jamming. <laughs> we were jamming. So like going to plays also is a thing. Yeah, I've seen the Tina Turner play and the Temptations play. And just, yeah, that's what I do. Before. Awesome. That's, that's great. Uh, <laughs> this has been such a great conversation, Gloria. Any last thoughts for the viewers and listeners of the show? So if nothing else, these are unprecedented times where like we're dealing with stuff like it feels like we're all together in some sort of PTSD experiment because every you turn on the news and it's something bad you listen to stuff and it's something bad like you read stuff and it's awful like me I live by myself and I'm reading all this history and I'm learning all this stuff and bottom line if nothing else please take care of yourself Take care of your physical and mental health. Take care of you. If someone came to you who was a real, like one of your best friends and told you they were struggling with something, what would you do for that person? Do the same thing for yourself. Because we would find a way to help people because that's what we do. What does she need? What does he need? What does he Stop and figure out what you need and then do it intentionally. Like, 
I thought, for example, after our conversation, I'm like, okay, you got the three big things. You need to do your calendar. You need this. I'm going to go to sleep. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to take a nap and then I'm going to get up and I'm going to do my calendar and all that stuff. But I'm not doing it now. Like, I'm not doing it now. Um, and there's always going to be something else you got to do because you're a school person, leader. No matter what job you're doing, there's always going to be something else you got to do. If you think about it, if you did everything you thought you had to do, there will be three more things. So it's not, it doesn't end. Stop and take care of yourself sometimes, a lot of times, and do it intentionally. So wise. Thank you, Gloria. Thank it has you. been a luxury to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Epaim Martinez. Chulu. And I love that production. Chulu out. <laughs>